The coming spring is treating everybody well, and it's time to get outside and enjoy the fresh air. But in the meantime, if you're listening to the radio, I have a very special guest on tonight, a fellow that I actually uh, met in person a couple of years ago, did an interview on my television television show, Wall of Power TV, with a fellow by the name of Frank Beecham. Frank goes way back into the world of media, He writes a, a great Facebook post called Frank Beecham's Journal. Frank, good to have you on the air tonight. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Paul. I wanted to reach out because you had a great Facebook post uh, just a handful of days ago. I believe it was on April 4th, celebrating the 60th anniversary of Bob Dylan's New York City debut, opening up for the great John Lee Hooker at Gertie's Folk City in Greenwich Village. Right. That's a, a, an amazing story because the day before, Mike Porco, who owned Gertie's Folk City, uh, signed a, as Dylan's guardian to get him a cabaret license right. here in New York City. The next, uh, later that night, he met Joan Baez for the first time. And the next night, he did his first professional gig at Gertie's opening for John Lee Hooker. Wow. Uh, that's pretty amazing. And then we skip a couple of years, and he does his concert at Carnegie Hall, which was the second post the next day. It was almost exactly two years later. So um, Dylan, he came to New York looking to be a success and he just really nailed it quickly it's hard to believe um the combination of luck and skill and all of the things that came together for him well it's uh, i think that's kind of the definition of the word zeitgeist correct oh yeah yeah i mean it's really a an amazing story uh he was not i think he was 19 years old he wasn't old enough to even get a cabaret license, and Porco had to sign as his guardian. Well, good for Mike. Dylan has been quoted as saying it's the only Sicilian father he ever had. Oh, funny. You know, it's uh, I've, I, I talk uh, a bit about Bob over the years to whoever will listen, and I go, you know, uh, I, of course, I'm from the Iron Range, Virginia, Minnesota, which is 20 miles east of Hibbing. Uh, where Bob spent his uh, junior high and, and high school years before he went down to 
uh, go to the U of M in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. But you have to dig. There was a guy named Diamond Dave Whitaker who I've met. Diamond Dave was the guy that turned uh, Bob Dylan on to Woody Guthrie, gave him the book Bound for Glory. Bob spent the whole night reading it on uh, Whitaker's couch. So he and another fellow who became a good friend of mine, Dave Morton, who in uh, Bob Shelton's book uh, introduces Dave and says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear about Dave Morton's influence on Bob Dylan. They both told me the story when they got Bob, when he was ready to go to New York, and they talk, took him out to the outskirts of Minneapolis to hop on the highway to start, to start hitchhiking. And I always add to that, and who but an Iron Ranger would hitchhike to New York City with a guitar in the middle of winter? Uh, there's a very interesting story about how Dylan met um, uh, Woody Guthrie. Now, he, he had met him prior to this, but there is a guitarist named Barry Cornfell. Sure, I've heard and of Barry that. was a legendary guy. I mean, he played on Dylan Records. He played. He studied with Reverend Gary Davis. He was with Tom Paxton, Van Morrison. I mean, on and on. But he had a car, and Dylan didn't. And Dylan got him to drive him to the hospital where Woody was. And uh, I've recorded an interview with Barry about that day. And it was really an incredible story to hear about how Dylan would buy him cigarettes. And, you know, I mean, he was really, really genuine, uh, genuinely enamored mm -hmm. um, at Woody. And um, it's just really, uh, that, I, I put that story on YouTube. If you look up Barry Cornfell on and Dylan. Uh, it's 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 a really wonderful story, and uh, Barry's still around, and it's still a nice guy. Well, we've got we've got to get a hold of him one of these days. But Frank, tell us a little bit about what you remember, uh, and we will track down that story, your interview with Barry Kornfeld on YouTube. But tell us what essentially did Barry say? He must have had a pretty big impression about the meeting of those two minds, the young Bob. Dylan, and, of course, the great Woody Guthrie. Well, it was interesting in that I think no one thought a lot about it. Um, Barry was simply giving Dylan a ride because Dylan didn't have a car. Right. Uh, and when they were at the hospital, Barry reflects on what it was like to watch Dylan you know, being enamored with this man uh, and buying him cigarettes and, you know, just holding court with um, with Dylan. And, it, it, you know, it was simply a ride into nowhere by two legends. And it was it was really kind of hard to believe that it, it happened so simply. That's all I'm, you know, there's really more, not more to it than that. Our guest tonight is Mr. Frank Beecham speaking uh, to us from his home in New York City. We're going to listen to a track off Dylan's Columbia debut, a cover song called See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. We will be back with Mr. Beecham for the whole show tonight on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Well, there's one kind of favor I'll ask of you Well, there's one kind of favor I'll ask of you 
There's just one kind favor I'll ask of you You can't see that my grave is kept clean And there's two white horses following me And there's two white horses following me I got two white horses following me Waiting on my burying ground Did you ever hear that coughing sound? Did you ever hear that coughing sound? Did you ever hear that coughing sound? Means another poor boy's underground. Did you ever hear them church bells torn? Have you ever heard that church bell strong? Did you ever hear them church bell strong? Means another poor boy is dead and gone. When my heart stopped beating, my hands turned cold. And my heart stopped beating, and my hands turned cold. When my heart stopped beating, and my hands turned cold. Now I believe what the Bible told. There's just one last favor I'll ask you And there's one last favor I'll ask you There's just one last favor I'll ask of you See that my grave is kept clean Welcome back to the second set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. My guest for the whole show tonight, Mr. Frank Beecham. We're talking about Dylan's debut at Folk City in 19, April 4th, 1961. Frank knows quite a bit, not only about uh, the New York folk scene, but he's also quite a media maven. Frank, tell us some of your listeners about, I believe, the last time we chatted, uh, you told us some great stories about hanging out with the great Orson Welles. Well, Orson was an amazing character. And um, I, it, to tell you that story, I have to go back to how I met Orson. Please do. Which, was, which I, I was doing a horrible television show called Lifestyles of the Rich and the uh, Famous. And it was really uh, not a very pleasant experience. And I kind of had my foot on one set of misery and another one in Nirvana because I was meeting Orson Welles. And one day Orson calls me up out of the blue and wants to have lunch. And he had seen this camera I had, which he thought looked like a film camera uh, that didn't need film. So that's the way I got Orson's attention. And 
then went on to be a whole year of ending up producing for him. Wow. Uh, and, and, and getting to know him and really you know, stretching the, the limits of, of how you can know an unbelievable celebrity and, and not be, uh, you know, have it totally knock you off your guard. Right. And, you know, understanding and what I went through with that year of Orson and and the interesting thing is he died at his typewriter the oh. night before we were to start the shoot. So it was an incredible story all the way around. Man, that is uh, that's wild. Now you had tell people uh, in my audience in the Wall of Power Radio Hourland. Tell us about some of your history. You uh, you've been as a, a broadcaster. You've been in radio. You've been in television. You've actually seen. Yeah, no, I, I started out in TV news. Okay. And I, uh, I, I, yeah, I worked as a very young guy for um, United Press, Post Newsweek, the Miami Herald. Uh, when I was in my early twenties, I worked for a lot of major news organizations, and then I, I kind of got fed up with being shot at in Latin America. I worked in 22 countries, and it really got to be a pain. Wow. So then I went to L.A., basically with the attention of hoping to get some work. And I got it quickly, and it has turned into like a, a lifetime writing gig where I do television production, I do... Uh, all kinds of stuff that are related to it, as well as right. So I've had a uh, a very varied career. And you've written some books too. Tell us about that. Yeah, I've written uh, I've written a book called Whitewash, which is the story of music, mayhem, and murder in the South. And wow. it's, um, it's a thing that we're turning into a uh, streaming series. I also wrote about the Orangeburg Massacre, which. Uh, is another thing from my youth that I, I got involved with, and another on my grandfather, who was a uh, a man who secretly tried to um, overthrow a the labor strike at a cotton mill, and it was my own grandfather and several people. Twenty seven people died. Wow. So there, there's a lot of these true stories that I taught. I tend to be attracted to, and I get involved with. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, well, tell us about uh, your journal. Is that uh, primarily Facebook-based? Yeah, I do that. Uh, that I, I do that on, um, it's called Frank Beecham's Journal, and it's BeechamJournal.com. And I basically, I, I you know, I, I, do, I write it every day, though sometimes it's not that pertinent to music. It's a real range of stuff. But you saw it, and a lot of people read it regularly, and I think I have maybe about 25,000 subscribers to it. So um, I, I enjoy doing it, you know, and it just depends on uh, any given day how many people uh, see it. Now, didn't, when we were chatting last time, there was either a picture or you told me a story. You had uh, you had a chance to meet the great Walter Cronkite. Oh, yeah, I ate sushi with Walter. Um, <laughs> I just had sushi Walter today. Yeah, Walter is, uh, was, was a guy who uh, at first was sort of gruff and didn't have much to say to me. I remember one of the first things I ever said to him was, you know, how did you, um, you know, get around, uh, you know, all of this stuff to, you know, to... 
basically, I I said to him, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I said to him the exactly thing I said. You know, I uh, I was I wrote something when I was in high school, and I heard it in your voice, in my voice, and it and he looked at me and he says, "Well, I'm sure it was a thrill, young man," <laughs> and that was basically it. But you know, after that, um, he got friendlier and the last time I saw Walter was at a sushi bar and we sat and we talked about eating sushi and it, he was really very friendly so it just takes a while with some people and yeah. that's, that's the way it was now you also told me a fascinating story was it in now I might be conflating stories from two different people did you have a uh Dinner with uh, Orson Welles and Truman Capote, or my? Oh no, no! I, I had dinner with um, uh, down in Key West. I was sitting at a bar between Tennessee Williams and Truman Capote, <laughs> and uh, they were both as drunk as any human beings I think I've ever seen. <laughs> and they were both high on pills, and it was uh, it was quite a situation. And, and I don't think either remembered what was going on because they were all so, uh, so stoned. But that was the only trip that Truman had taken to Key West, and the reason he did it was he had read that Hemingway made his editor come down to get stories so Truman was not going to let Hemingway get ahead of him, so he made his editor come down, and he went to Key West for that reason. And we are going to be playing a song with Key West in the title at the end of the show. That's right. I forgot that we were doing that, but I, I love Key West. Key West is a great, magical place. Dylan captured a lot of it, and uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a mood to Key West that... Uh, and I've been there many times, and I always, I, I don't even think of it as being in the United States. It's, it's, it's that different. Well, like Dylan says in that song, which we'll hear at the end of the show, uh, if you've lost your mind, you can find it there in Key West. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what, that's the truth, too. You know, a lot of people have lost their mind there. You know, <laughs> oddly enough, in uh, small world stuff, in that song, Key West, uh, Dylan references pirate radio, and I have a friend of mine from Wisconsin named Jack Smith, who actually runs a radio station in Key West that they refer to as pirate radio. Jack would like to claim that uh, for himself, but I believe uh, Dylan might also be referencing the uh, pirate radio like that used to come out of Luxembourg. Oh, I never knew that. I never knew that. Well, if you ever get down there, I'll have to hook you and Jack up. His father was a long-time DJ and actually uh, had an interview with uh, John Kennedy uh, in the early oh, 60s. Wow. So, yeah, that whole media world. Well, they have the thing on Halloween in Key West called Fantasy Festival. That's got to be nuts. I, oh, it was nuts. In fact, I was hired to videotape the first festival, and the guy that hired us gave my crew, everybody, all the cocaine they could consume and what happened was everybody got so stoned we never got the show uh, however i did get one soundbite with tennessee williams and i think somebody asked tennessee what does halloween mean to you 
And he said, Halloween is just a drag committee. <laughs> well, that clip ran on the Today Show and all over. But we didn't have much of it because of the crew was just out of their mind. But I will <laughs> never forget, I, the guy said, well, I guess I shouldn't have uh, paid you guys and then got you high. And I thought, well, yeah, I think you learned a lesson there. <laughs> you know, speaking of Halloween and drag, I uh, was in Greenwich Village on Halloween night. Uh, I picked it up the uh, subway at uh, West 4th Street. For some reason, the subway had stopped. And, of course, all the uh, uh, boys were all dressed up in their finest for the Greenwich Village uh, Halloween Day Parade. But it was so surreal down there. I wrote a song. Uh, I, I think I copped the... Uh, uh, I think it copped the title from Alan Goodsburg, but the song is called Honeymoon in Drag Alley, and it's kind of a bit of my remembrances from that uh, fateful Halloween night at the Greenwich Village, Village subway station. So let's talk, uh, speaking about uh, Greenwich Village, where you and I had a great chat at the, uh, what was uh, now called the Kettle of Fish, which used to be the Lion's Head. Tell us a little right. bit about when you got to Greenwich Village, Frank Beecham. What years? Well, what when, were you when doing? I moved, I moved to New York in about, I think it was 1998. And I knew about the Lion's Head. I don't know how, but I was told it was a, a place where writers and all hung out. And, and that's why I, I, I sought it out. And I loved the place. Mm -hmm. You could always go in and there would be editors, writers, some of them famous, uh, who had covers of their books on the wall. They had a jukebox to die for with great music. And they, the most important thing was they didn't have a television set. Right. This was in the era of bars when people talked and they didn't watch sports. And uh, now, of course, they do have the TVs because they all do. But... Um, I remember that as being probably the best example of a bar that I've ever seen. Hmm. The back room where we taped that show was where um, I think uh, Norman Mailer announced he was running for mayor. Wow. Robert Kennedy decided to run for president. Bob Dylan played a song. I mean, this little area at a table and a bench that we sat at yeah. was where a lot of historic events happened. Now, I was this was this came after I, I mean before I was there, but you know the stories still abounded when the Lion's Head closed. They had an auction, and I went to the auction and I bought a bar stool. Nice. Now, they had they were selling the table in the back room where Dylan, you know, did all of his stuff. However, they they wanted two thousand dollars for it. I I didn't have that kind of money, but also I didn't have the space uh, because the, they were selling big pizzas. So I got a bar stool, and I kept that bar stool for many many years. Uh, so it was uh, it was a very special bar and probably the one that I remember as my favorite in my entire life. Well, I'm a fan of bar stools as well. In fact, my buddy and I, uh, Tony Tilt Rubin, I played at the Stone Pony in 2001, and they were throwing out a bar stool in the back. I guess we could have asked 
if they would have given it to us, but we uh, decided to hop the 15-foot uh, chain link fence and steal it. And then for some reason, I don't know how we got it back to Minneapolis. It's uh, The seat to it is still in the back seat of my truck, but I'm a big believer in having the karma from bars like that. And of course, you remember, Frank, when we were at the, uh, uh, what's, what's now called the Kettle of Fish, they had that legendary neon that just said bar that uh, the picture of Jack Kerouac in front of the original Kettle of Fish on McDougal was next to. Absolutely, that was the, that's a classic picture of Kerouac, and uh, it's uh, yeah. It, look, look, there's so many iconic moments happened in the village in those days, and, and it's sadly gone now. I mean, you know, it's it, it's not like that. I think the reason is the Bohemian culture, where people could live inexpensively, is over. I mean, you yeah. know, now you have to be very wealthy to live down there. And uh, it, it, it just killed the, uh, the bohemian music scene. But it was wonderful during its time, and it's something that, um, you know, I still have uh, posters that Barry Cornfell has given me. In fact, I have a microphone that they used at um, Gertie Folk City that uh, Barry gave me. This... Uh, so, you know, you get these little mementos from people, and it's just really wonderful. We've got Frank Beecham on the Wall of Power Radio Hour all night tonight. We've had him on for one more set. Stick around, and we're going to talk Bob Dylan, Key West, and Bob Dylan 60 years later after his debut at Gertie's Folk City. All right, Engineer John, so give us... uh, Yeah, give us um, 12 minutes. You ready? Yep. Welcome back to the last set of the Ball and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. My guest for the whole show tonight, a man I had the pleasure of meeting once, although we've spoken on the phone several times. I think I reached out to you, Frank Beecham, because you gave me a really nice write-up review on Amazon for my book, Blue Guitar Highway. Oh, that's a wonderful book, my friend. That that, that was... Uh... An excellent book, and and aren't you doing a new one? I think I'm doing one called Alphabet Jazz Poetry, Prose, Stories, and Songs, which is a collection of, of things I've written since 1984 through as uh, uh, late as of January 2022, and uh, I have a guy I met in Duluth named John. Uh, Saristo, who's helping me edit it, and we're just getting ready on Friday to upload it to bookbaby.com, who's going to self-publish it for me. And I'm going to make sure, Frank Beecham, I get you one of the first copies. Well, I'll tell you something. You're an excellent writer, Paul, and um, I love the stories about Blue. I love the stories about the bars in Minneapolis. I have, I, I think I've been there once, but I've never done the bar scene. So I, I you know, I was getting it all through you. Uh, and it was really, really quite special. I don't understand. I was there for Hubert Humphrey's funeral mm-hmm. with, um, NBC News. And it's the coldest I think I've ever was in my life. My beard froze, my mustache <laughs> froze. And I thought, how does anybody live here, you know? But, uh, I, you know, it's really, uh, it was a really special book that opened uh, a lot 
of of good stuff for me. And and there are very few really good musician biographies, but that's one of them. Well, I really appreciate that, Frank. And of course, you know, I was so honored to have my good friend. Uh, David Carr, who had, uh, wrote until the day he passed away in the New York Times newsroom, wrote the medium column for the last 10 years to do the forward. And so uh, it was blessed from the beginning. But thank you so much. Like I said, I'll get you a copy of Alphabet yeah, okay, Jazz. Okay, that's great. I look forward to it. I really do. I look forward to seeing the new book. Thank yeah. you, Frank. Now let's talk 60 years later. So Dylan debuts in Gertie's Folk City, opening up. For none other than one of the world's greatest bluesmen, John Lee Hooker. And now, 60 years later, uh, he Well, I saw him uh, last on this tour, the one he's doing now, in uh, at Beacon last year. Um, and he's still doing the same set list. You know, he's not doing it in the South. Um, it's interesting because he does not play guitar in this now. He uh, he basically stays behind the piano most of the time. He uh, when he stands, he holds on to things. So I, you know, I've been told that his age has is caught up with him in that respect. I think he has a bad back and can't play the guitar, but he's still Dylan, and his voice is really excellent. I mean, he's. Um, very, uh, he, he verbalizes and says the words clear enough that you can really understand him. And I've heard shows over the years where you couldn't understand him at all. He mumbled, but not anymore. <laughs> I remember a great, uh, there's a fellow named Bill Pagel that manages, uh, he's a buddy of mine, he manages Bob Link. So uh, if you want to go back over the years and see what songs Dylan played at what shows, go to boblinks.com. And people put reviews up there. And I remember a great review years ago. Uh, a fella took his wife to her first Bob Dylan concert. And then, well, while they were walking out, somebody overheard her ask her husband, was he singing in German? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think uh, of, the, of the record, Rough and Rowdy Ways? Oh, I love that record. I think that record is excellent. My my take on Dylan, I've seen now concerts. I think the first time I saw Dylan was in the early 70s. I mean, you know, it's been it's a long, long time and a lot of concerts. I saw him with the band. I've seen him on Rolling Thunder. Uh, and I think that Rough and Rowdy Ways is among his best records. Huh. It's all different. It's a journey. And I went through the religious period. In fact, Paul Rothschild, who was a good friend of mine, who was a good friend of Dylan, wouldn't even take his girlfriend because he got so angry with Dylan about his religious views. So he had me take his girlfriend to see Dylan. Wow. So it was, you know, I have been through ups and downs, but I have never been disappointed because I've always felt that I'm go I'm on a journey with this guy. And right. sometimes, you know, his mood is what his mood is, and you have to just accept it. Um, but I do think his recent work is just as good as, as some of his other work. I mean, I love Key West. I love most of the songs on um, the Rough and Ready uh, album. I thought he did a fine concert. And... Um, I do understand, I've read some reviews that in Alabama or whatever, 
People didn't like him, but I think a lot of the people that go to these shows expect a greatest hits show, and you're never going to get that from Bob Dylan. Even if he does his greatest hits, he changes the lyrics. So, <laughs> right. So. Well, to you, I live in New York City. Uh, you've had the chance to get to know Dylan's longtime bass player, and I've had the pleasure of yeah, uh, meeting him, Tony Garnier. Uh, Tony Garnier is a very good friend. In fact, he called me during the pandemic, not knowing he's ever going to play again. He was learning to be an audio engineer at home, you know, working on projects like everybody else. Um, you know, it's not to give anything away, but, you know, he, uh, he he's worked with Dylan for 30 years. I don't think he knows him much better than anybody else. Uh, he never really knows whether he's going to do the next tour or not until he gets the call. Uh, Dylan keeps, you know, close to himself, and the man does not always know what's going on. Um, Chris Parker who's another friend that played drums on the first of the never-ending tour. And he told me a story one night about um, Dylan would stop the tour bus at um, scrap metal places. And he would buy pieces of scrap metal and throw it in the bus (laughs) over the equipment and never tell the band what he was up to. Right. It was years later when they learned that he was doing that, you know, the sculpture that he's so famous for now. So a lot of the stuff, I mean, the band never knew. I mean, and they still don't know. He, he is a very private guy. And, you know, I, I used to, I, I did a book with Harvey Brooks, um, who played with Dylan. And we tried to get an interview with Dylan, and he there was no way. He right. was not going to do it. But in a way, I'm not sure that I'm not happy about that. Because yeah. I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to meet him and have him be nasty and cold and have it change my whole view of him. It, it's like I kind of know how he operates, and I know that he's he's like that with everybody, even the people that work with him. I remember a story, somebody came up, and you can imagine how tough it's got to be to be Bob Dylan. I mean, next to Muhammad Ali, maybe the most famous person in, in the universe, somebody came up to him and said, Bob, you know, I know everything about you, but you don't know anything about me, and Bob says, let's keep it that way. <laughs> well, you know what, that's the way Bob is. Yeah. He does want to keep it that way. And I guess, in a way, if any of us had been through and had the life he had, you might not judge him so harshly because a lot of people feel, oh, he should be friendly and all of that. And you know what? I don't, he's, he's not, that's just not him. Not well, going to do it. What- he, his privacy is a guard against the incredible amount of fame that he had. Oh, I know. It's It's, amazing. None of us could even comprehend being that famous. I remember the great Brownie McGee line, my guitar is a weapon against the world, and Bob's is as well. What I love about the fact that he's doing all these metal sculptures now, doing gates and this and that, it's... And he's done some really good paintings. Some of his latest stuff are excellent. Yeah. I mean, he is a real artist... Well, you know, the thing, uh, Frank, I, I love about his welding, there's nothing more iron range than being a welder. 
So we've got just about a minute left, Frank Beecham. You know, you look in the pandemic and the quarantine. I bumped into a woman the other day that wanted to pet my cute dog. And I said, he blew us such a great quarantine, buddy. And she goes, yeah, I spent the last two years talking to spiders. And I said, well, number one, I'm going to use that as a title of my next song. But look at what Dylan's done uh, in the in his quarantine. He does rough and rowdy ways. He's painted God knows how many uh, uh, paintings. He's uh, working on that book that's coming out in October about the philosophy of oh, modern yeah, he songwriting. He hasn't taken a break about anything. The guy never does. Uh, he may not be performing, but he is certainly working. And um, you got to hand it to him. I mean, he's eighty, what eighty one years old now, and. He uh, he keeps keeps on ticking, and that's uh, really to be admired. The ener- the energizer buddy, uh, bunny of art, Frank Beecham. This has been so incredible. I look forward to seeing you again. We've got to go out and have a beer again at the uh, Kettle of Fish, and uh, keep us posted on all of your projects and when your next book is out. And we'll have, you've got an open door on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Thanks very much. It's really good to talk to you, uh, Paul, and you take care now. You too. Thanks, Frank. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. McKinley Holler, McKinley Small, Dr. Simakudley, Death is on the wall Say it to me If you got something to confess I heard all about him He was going down slow I heard it all The wireless radio From down in the boondocks Way down in I'm searching for love For inspiration On that pirate radio station Coming out of Luxembourg And Budapest Radio simple Clear as can be I'm so deep in love that I can hardly see Down in the flatlands Way down in Key West Key West is the place to be If you're looking for immortality Stay on the road Follow the highway sign Key West is fine and fair If you lost your mind, you'll find it there Key West is on the horizon line I was born on the wrong side Of the railroad track Like Ginsburg, Corso and Kerouac Like Louie and Jimmy and Buddy And all the rest Well, it might not be the thing to do But I'm sticking with you 
through and through Down in the flatland Way down in Kiwi I got both my feet Landed square on the ground Got my right hand high With the thumb down Such is life Such is a happiness Hibiscus flowers They grow everywhere here If you wear one Put it behind your ear Down on the bottom Way down in Key West Key West is the place to go Down by the Gulf of Mexico Beyond the sea, beyond the shifting sand Key West is the gateway key To innocence and purity Key West Key West is the enchanted land I've never lived In the land of Oz Or wasted my time With an unworthy cause It's hot down here And you can't be overdressed Tiny blossoms Of a toxic plant They can make you dizzy Like a happy but a cat Down in the flatlands Way down in Key West Where the fishtail ponds And the orchid trees They can give you that bleeding heart disease People tell me I ought to try a little tenderness Amelia Street Bayview Park Walking in the shadows After dark Going under Way down in Key Play gumbo limbo spirituals I know all the Hindu rituals People tell me That I'm truly blessed Go good be a bloomin' In the summer and the spring Winter here Is an unknown thing Down in the flatlands Way down in the Key West Key West is under the sun Under the radar, under the gun You stay to the left And then you lean to the right Feel the sunlight on your skin And the healing virtues of the wind Key West Key West is the land of light Wherever I travel
Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show is produced by Paul Mensah, and the engineer was Mr. John Saristo. We'd like to thank our guest, Frank Beecham. My book, Alphabet Jazz, is almost ready to go to the printer, which means it should be out in May. Alphabet Jazz, poetry, prose, stories, and songs. Follow more at paulmensah.com and let me know if you need a copy. And remember, like my dad used to tell me, Remember to be kind and make someone happy. Someday, the high and the mighty will fall. There will be no power brokers, the wall of power will fall. Someday, the high and the mighty will fall. There will be no power brokers. 